And as they go, and as has been mentioned a couple times, we are in our second week of this series called Three Approached uh, Life and People at Walking Speed. And, and that we are going to try to look at what is holding us back from, from engaging life at that kind of speed, at the very least at God's speed, and, and what that kind of life could look like for us in the end. And so uh, I think a lot of times, because we're pretty fast-paced people, it might look like slowing down. But at the end of the day, uh, what I hope it looks like is that we simply engage the things we do from a humane perspective, from a perspective that can build relationships, show people grace, receive forgiveness. It can, it can, it can be at a speed that allows us to, uh, to live as Jesus did. And so the next three weeks, we're going to look at three temptations that keep us from that. Uh, Productivity is today, and then we're going to look at protection, and then finally prestige, all P words, no big deal. Uh, and then uh, we're going to move in the last three weeks to talk about how we could maybe be more present. Um, I have a P word for the second one. It's paschal love, but that's kind of a hard one. So sacrificial love, is, uh, uh, and then finally peace. And I'm excited about it, and I hope you all will be too. But as we go to God's word, let's go first to prayer. Will you pray with me? Jesus, as we just sang, there is no one like you. And so we pray that you might fill us with your love and through your word show us what it might mean to love others. May we understand that this is possible and that this is life-changing, and that it's for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Listen for God's word for each of us today. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stone into bread. That is literally the, the ultimate feat of productivity right there. And, and we are a people who love, think about it, we love being productive. You ever tell someone it was a really productive day and you meant it was a horrible day? No, that is, oh, I... It was productive. You don't even have to say it was good. It's like, wow, that was a good day. I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, efficiency is an evergreen goal for us. It is always at the top of the list. And this might surprise you based on the scripture, but I don't think that's bad. In fact, I believe productivity is a God-given desire. The Lord's first command to people 
is to be fruitful and multiply. The first job is to work and cultivate the land, produce things off the land. In fact, in his book, Sacred Fire, Ronald Rollheiser makes the rather audacious claim that the greatest natural catalyst for discipleship is tied to directly to our desire to be productive. You know what it is? Amelia thinks this is very distracting. It's puberty. He says the greatest natural catalyst to us being disciples is this engagement with productivity. Because after all, think about it, right? Right now, my kids, my, at least my older ones, they're six and four. Uh, they want to be with me all the time. It's a little annoying. All the time. And if nothing changed, they would be 40 years old and still living in my house, having their crusts cut off their peanut butter and jellies, screaming at Amelia for some meatloaf. <laughs> but around 13, or in my case, 18, <laughs> something starts happening inside of us. Hormones start pumping. And all of a sudden, we've never wanted to live into a biblical verse more than the one from Genesis that says, at the right age, a person will leave their mother and father and they'll cleave to another. We don't want to hang out with our parents anymore. And we often narrow that phenomenon down to sexual desires, but at its core, think about it, at its core, it's this internal call to live a life that is turned outward. Before, it was all about you, and all of a sudden, you're thinking about other people. Puberty gets us to think beyond ourselves. It makes us want to love and care and provide for others, to not just sit back and have our needs met. In short, it makes us want to be productive. And engaged faithfully, that newfound energy will push us to get to work loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So it's not surprising. Jesus does not shy away from being productive when he's on this earth. Dude gets a lot done in three years. Shoot, in the context of the don't involve the devil, the Lord is totally fine being productive when it comes to bread. In the Old Testament, God made bread for Israel every morning as they wandered the wilderness, and he does it with far less than stones. And in a few short chapters, Jesus will put on the mother of all efficiency feedings when he takes just some loaves and some fishes and he feeds 5,000 people. So this is a good thing. This desire that we have is good. Yet at some point, this good thing can stop being good, can it? I assume most of us have felt that before. Where this desire, this passion... I know we all felt it when we were like 15, but even at this point, this desire, this passion, it seems to overtake us and we can't control it. It seems to never end. And this morning, what I want us to see is the answer to that disordered life. It's not to change who God made us to be. We aren't trying to figure out how to live more inefficient lives here. We're trying to live rightly ordered lives. 
And so the two questions I want to explore today are, one, how does the devil use productivity to tempt us? And two, how might we be more mindful of keeping our efficient desires in line with the way of Jesus? So with that first one, how does the devil use productivity to tempt us? To put it as simply as I can, the devil gets us to separate God's story from our story. So when we encounter need, when we experience the, the brokenness of the world, when we are hungry, it feels right to take matters into our own hands. When we notice something is, is lacking, we're all ears to the idea that we can solve the problem. The devil knows the easiest way to get us to give up faith is to offer results. And I was thinking about this this week. Not to now, because I'm going to keep talking. Think about how tempting results are. Think about what we will rationalize if we can get results. What we'll do. Where we'll put God to the side and, and for 20 minutes get something else done. The devil knows it. But let me be clear. I think that this temptation is deeper than some lack of patience that we have. I think it's more than unhealthy ambition or something like that. I think it's important to acknowledge that we arrive at disordered productivity through a pretty complicated journey. We have all been shaped this way by painful events, by hard experiences. What I mean is the, is the devil doesn't come in a blank state and say like, hey, you should do this thing. And we're like, yeah, that sounds good. And that's just sort of the end of it. Uh, the devil comes at the end of a season in the wilderness. We resonate with the devil's invitation because of the role that divorce has played in our life. Trauma. If you've experienced trauma in your life, it primes you for this. The journey of losing someone you love, it will get you to this place. We idolize productivity because we have encountered the deep pain of an absent parent. This is what poverty does. These are real things. To say productivity is a temptation for us is not to say we've simply grown cynical or we want control. It's to say that we have experienced real pain and our faith hasn't healed it. Let me say that again. It's to say that we have experienced real pain in our life and our faith has not healed it. I say that not as an excuse, but to give you permission to name it as real. Because I think it's real. Jesus was really hungry. The brokenness of life, it changes us. And no amount of time heals us enough to forget how hard life really is. And it's when we see the world as it is that the devil comes in and says, you have the ability to make it better. You can turn stones into bread. 
And in that moment, it, honest to goodness, feels like good news to get busy. We don't all do this the same way. We don't all do it for the same reason. I tend to think there are, there are two variations of this sin. Basically, we either avoid our hunger or we resign ourselves to the hunger. How we try to avoid our need is, I think, the more obvious of the two. It's things like we build idols and, and we become addicted to things that make us feel significant or that numb our pain. And if those things don't satisfy, we, we put our head down and we work harder. We avoid our hunger by distraction. And with enough time, I'm sure we could all name places that this is true in our life. I think this is the one that we think of when we, when we think that productivity's got a hold of us. But the ways that we resign ourselves to being hungry, that I actually think is a bit more touchy of a topic. At least with avoiding, we can pretend we're saving ourselves, right? But resignation, it's got no built-in excuse. The image uh, Scripture gives of resignation to hunger is the Israelites as they're in the wilderness wishing that they were back in Egypt under slavery because at least there they knew where their food was coming from. Resignation says, if I have to choose between the hard road of faith and slavery, if i got to choose between wilderness and, and slavery, might as well go with the one that the dominant culture will support me in. Might as well do that. At least there I know I'm getting some food. When we're resigned to life being hard, and we have good reasons for resigning ourselves to that, we're not willing to compound that harsh reality by choosing the hard, mysterious way of faith. In our context, it's being overwhelmed, overworked, but refusing to take Sabbath. It's a vision of life that chooses our child's extracurriculars based not on the story of God, but what gives our child the most opportunity. Because if we were ever to, to limit our kids' options, it would feel like we're choosing not to feed them when they're hungry. And raising a kid's hard enough as it is. And in all of these, we might not think our production is going to make our life better. We're just not willing to throw faith into the mix of a hard life and risk actually making things worse. And that's what the devil wants. This is how he tempts. In those moments, he comes in and he says, You're hungry? Well, forget the narrow path. Why add struggle to struggle? You have the ability to solve this problem. And everyone will affirm you for doing so. Everyone. So get busy. Just do it. Satan invites us to separate our need from God's story. The devil wants our daily bread disconnected from God's redemptive work where faith feels like a disservice to reality. Has faith ever felt like a disservice to the reality you're going through? In that context, 
what was meant to turn us outward, this natural good desire, it only turns us inward. Where we will always feel right to engage any difficulty, any need, any desire in the most efficient way possible. Not for some faithful purpose, but just to get through it. But friends, this morning, I want you to know that this is not the way it has to be. So how might we be more mindful of keeping our efficient desires in line with the way of Jesus? Well, our men's retreat teacher, uh, uh, speaker, turned me on to this, but there's this book by Diogenes Allen, and he says that people often see temptations, Jesus' temptations, and they think, well, uh, these are the three areas that I should run from. Clearly, these are the ones that we should not be messing with. These are the temptations. These are the things. But, but Alan says it's actually the opposite. In, in submitting to these temptations, Jesus shows us what areas of our life are worth the struggle. These three places that we're about to go through, Jesus says these are the ones that we do not run from or duck from. This is where we actually get after it with our faith. Jesus goes through the temptations, not so we know what potholes to avoid, but so we see what good things can be warped by evil lies. Therefore, we know where to slow down, enjoying the Lord as we engage these universal struggles for a faithful life. Is your life moving at a pace that allows this? Think of a time you have been recently felt some version of hunger. It probably wasn't real hunger, but maybe, maybe you were lonely or bored. Or maybe you, if you haven't been bored in a really long time, that's a good sign of something's a little off. Maybe you felt insignificant or rejected or judged. Were you moving at a pace to notice you had journeyed into the wilderness? Real wilderness. Were you moving there, let alone to see that, let alone consciously take the time to engage your need with God's Word? A life dictated by the speed of culture, I think it stands little chance. And evil takes advantage of our God-given habit of efficiency and gets us to produce our own solution every time. So instead of faithfully leaning into the struggle, looking uh, to connect it to God's word, to God's story, we seek out the productivity of porn, the salvation of work, therapy of retail, the dopamine hit of social media, the affirmation of group think, friends' affirmations, and any other action that might quickly produce satisfaction. But friends, it does not need to be this way. When we are hungry, when we long for something, when we see a need, that is a call to remember that we do not live by bread alone, but by the very Word of God. It's actually an invitation not to be pulled inward and selfish, but to be pulled outward, outside of ourselves, that that we can trust the Lord when He says that it is possible to align our efforts with the life-giving story of Jesus. It is possible. And that, in essence, is what it looks like to struggle. 
in the places we are overwhelmed and feel great need, we take the time to ask if our response is grounded in God's grace. I don't know about you, but if, if I am insecure in an area of my life, I am going to do something about it. I do not have the willpower to be like, oh, that's just there and I'll wait for it to get better. I'm going, action is going to happen. I'm going to get productive. And so I want to live at a speed that allows me to recognize that insecurity and to ask, what would I do knowing I am loved beyond measure as a child of God? The struggle is to ask, am I pursuing this need? Knowing that faithful production does not always look like the fastest or the most pain-free or the most culturally affirmed option. To struggle is to slow down long enough to ask, is my work producing the fruits of the Spirit? Where do I see patience and kindness and joy and forbearance sprouting up? And, I don't, uh, and, and if I don't see it, how is God calling me to live differently? Work differently? In the face of difficulty, do my actions stand firmly in the story that death is defeated? In the end, Jesus invites us to be as vulnerable as he was. To pursue our work in a way that always leaves us open to the sting of death but to do so because we are grounded in the hope of resurrection. And later in the series, we will explore what it looks like to, to choose this struggle day in and day out, to live at a speed where we can pursue our productivity and remain relationally present. That's in a couple weeks. But today, today, I want to close by inviting you into the dramatics of the Scripture. It's a pretty dramatic scripture. This is a long-haul discipleship topic, but our scripture this morning, it's kind of a, a flag-in-the-ground moment. And I think that's the case because, because Jesus knows you can't nuance your way out of a lie. There's no organic path out of this. So over and over again, the Lord begins our journey towards faithful efficiency by telling people to do wildly inefficient things. You ever notice this? He says, drop your nets. Quit your job. Go walk on water. Start the global church by, by, by sitting and praying and just waiting around. Begin ministry by going in the desert and not eating for a little while. Claim grace for babies who cannot talk. Do these things that do not compute. And I'm convinced that the Lord asks us to do these counterintuitive things so we'll never forget that we're not trying to escape the devil here. We're claiming a story that defeats it. And so we set the parameters. We, uh, we know it might take a lifetime of work to get to the, be the disciple we were meant to be, but up front, we declare and into the this assumptions that once used to govern our lives. Like three months ago, I had to do this in some sort of way. I switched to a, uh, a flip phone like four, four months ago. 
Not because I thought it would heal my sins. Anyone who has been around me can confirm it has healed none of my sins. But because I needed to plant my flag in the belief that I do not live by bread alone, and every day that it's annoying that I'm pressing like 45 buttons to send a text, I am reminded of such, and I need it. What about you? Where do you need to plant a flag in the ground? Do something wildly inefficient to begin to live faithfully efficient. Do you need a a shut-off time for work? Get off some version of social media? Just quit it? To plant a flag in the ground and say, you know what, as a family, we don't sign up our kids for things that demand our Sunday morning. Do you need to fast from some sort of consumeristic habit that you're in? Confess an addiction to someone. I don't know, join a small group that you don't have time for. Sign up to teach the kids. None of these things are efficient. Barely productive. Barely productive. I don't know what it is for you, but I know we won't segue from the devil's view of the world to Jesus just by hoping. Just by slowly working our way out of it. No, we do so by not ducking the struggle to claim a different story. So let's proclaim with our life that we are sacramental people, that we are a community of both word and and, uh, bread. I hope that you will go from this place and that you will plant your flag in the ground somewhere to claim inefficiency in some bold way because we believe in the God of resurrection. And we are invited to practice that boldly in all that we do. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, what a gift to be pulled to want to engage this world What a gift to to know that you desire for us to have meaning in the things that we do. What a gift that beyond all comprehension, you invite us to join your story of the kingdom coming. And yet the kingdom is not yet. We live in a broken world. And it seems daily we are tempted to warp these good desires and become our own Savior. Resign ourselves to a life that's going to be hard, and our job is simply to manage it as best we can. But Jesus, I pray that we might not play by those rules. That in knowing our story is tied to your story, we might find some way to drop our nets to step out of the boat, to do something that doesn't totally compute, but to do it as a claim and as a reminder that the things that we do do can get wrapped up in your work and can produce the things that will be eternal. Pray that in some way your spirit might move to give us an idea of what that might be for each of us today. And we might leave here 
faithful, productive people. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.